and uh, open up to uh, Acts chapter uh, 15. And we're going to be looking at Acts chapter 15 uh, through chapter 16, verse 5. Acts chapter 15, uh, we'll start actually in verse uh, 36 this morning. Listen then to the word of God. After some days, Paul said to Barnabas, let us return and and visit the brothers in every city where we proclaim the word of the Lord and see how they are. Now, Barnabas wanted to take with them John called Mark. But Paul thought best not to take with them one who had withdrawn from them at, at Pamphylia and had, gone, uh, had, yeah, and had not gone with them to the work. And there arose a sharp disagreement so that they separated from each other. Barnabas took Mark with him and sailed away to Cyprus. But Paul chose Silas and departed, having been commended by the brothers to the grace of the Lord. And he went through Syria and Cilicia, Cilicia, strengthening the churches. Paul came also to Derbe and to Lystra. A disciple was there named Timothy, the son of a Jewish woman who was a believer, but his father was a Greek. He was well spoken of by the brothers at Lystra and Iconium. Paul wanted Timothy to accompany him, and he took him and circumcised him because of the Jews who were in those places, for they all knew that his father was a Greek. As they went on their way through the cities, they delivered to them their observance, uh, for observance the decision that had been reached by the apostles and the elders who were in Jerusalem. So the churches were strengthened in the faith, And they increased in numbers daily. Let's uh, begin with a word of prayer this morning. Our gracious God and Heavenly Father, we just ask that you would uh, speak to us from your word today. uh, That your word would would build us up and encourage us and have uh, lessons for us that that we might apply. Uh, This is your word, Lord, your holy word that you have given to us. And so we trust that in it you are speaking. And we ask that your Holy Spirit would be here uh, today to give me the words to say and that it would uh, connect to our hearts and, and resonate uh, in us. And we just pray that you would watch over us. In your precious name we pray. Amen. Have you ever had a situation in your life where you had someone that it was just really hard to get along with? Uh, maybe it even a situation in your life that, that led to a falling out with someone? maybe a a family member, uh, maybe a friend, maybe even a Christian, maybe even people inside the church where it just ended up where you had to part ways with them or they had to to part ways with you. And maybe it wasn't even on the best of terms that you left. How do we handle those types of situations? What do we take away from that? How do we respond better the next time? We're in a passage that, that helps us answer some of those questions. But it's the kind of passage where it's, we've all been there, I'm sure. We've all had a disagreement with someone at some point. Or we've all been in a situation where we had to be the ones to, to bend over backwards to try to keep the peace and from keeping people from getting upset. Our main point this morning is simply this, as much as possible, as much as possible, seek peaceable relationships with everyone. 
the scriptures say in Romans chapter 12, verse 18, if possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. We totally admit and understand that that is not always easy to do. If it's not our own sins that are getting in the way of that, sometimes it's the sins of others that make that task difficult. But if possible, as, as much as it depends upon us, as much as, you know, when, when your kids and your parents say, you know, it takes two of you to fight, as much as it depends upon us, one person in those disagreements, we need to pursue peace and living at peace with others. So as much as possible, seek peaceable relationships with everyone. So we have here in our passage, and I've just kind of broken it down into two points. We have a, a sort of negative example. Uh, Paul and Barnabas have a, a falling out. And then we have sort of a positive example where Paul takes steps with Timothy to try to keep peace against or to keep peace with Jewish people who are not believers. And so we're just going to work through it first this morning. Brothers in Christ should live at peace with each other. So when Paul says in Romans 12, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all, we're just going to break that into two categories today. Live peaceably with believers, which who we have many things in common. We are in Christ. We have the same faith. We have the same baptism. We worship the same God. We have the same unity in Jesus with believers be at peace. And then we're going to break it down in the second section and go with unbelievers, be at peace. So that's what the all will encompass. Brothers in Christ should live in peace with each other. So we have in our passage, verse 36, excuse me, where Paul and Barnabas decide to visit the churches they had planted. So they had gone around, they had started churches, they had come back to Jerusalem and then for the council and then they were in Antioch and and after a period of time we're not sure exactly how long Paul says and look at verse 36 and in some days Paul said to Barnabas let us return and visit the brothers in every city where we proclaim the word of the Lord and see how they are we're going to go out we're going to see if they're standing in the Lord we're going to see if they're walking maybe they need encouragement Maybe while we've been gone, they have new believers and we can help disciple them. There are certainly more evangelistic opportunities in these cities. Uh, Paul doesn't like uh, getting moss on his feet. He doesn't like sitting around here, I think. Let's get out there and visit these churches. But then it happens that Paul and Barnabas have a disagreement over John Mark. Look at verse 37 and 38. Now Barnabas wanted to take with them John called Mark. But Paul thought best not to take with them one who had withdrawn from them in uh, Pamphylia and had not gone with them to the work. You see, John Mark had had gone out with Paul and Barnabas on their first missionary journey. In Acts chapter 13, verse 5, we read, When they arrived at Salamis, they proclaimed the word of God in the synagogues to the Jews, and they had John to assist them. This is John, who, who is also called Mark. There were a lot of Johns in the early church, so you've got to call this one John Mark. Then it says in Acts chapter 13, verse 13, Now Paul and his companions set sail from Paphos and came to Perga in Pamphylia, and John left them and returned to Jerusalem. We don't know why John Mark left. 
A lot of different suggestions are out there. Did he get scared? Did he get tired of the ministry? Did he miss some people back in Jerusalem, maybe some family members, and decided he was going to go back and work in the church there? But, but for whatever reason, he decided to go back to Jerusalem. Some have even suggested that maybe he was uncomfortable evangelizing all these Gentiles and inviting them to faith. But we really have no evidence of any of those things. We don't know why. All we know is he left. And now Barnabas is saying, let's take John Mark with us again. Barnabas wants to give John Mark a second chance. He wants to show him some compassion. He says, this time John can come with us, and and I'm sure he'll get it right this time. I'm sure he'll stay with us through the whole trip. We find out in Colossians 4, uh, verse 10, it tells us that that Mark is actually Barnabas' cousin. So maybe there's a bit of of family appeal going on here. I I know John Mark. He's not... He's not a bad guy. Yeah, he had a, he had a bad day on the last missionary trip, and, and yeah, he bailed on us. But he can do it. I know he can. He can come with us. And, and Paul just doesn't think this is right. He doesn't think this is suitable, that this is the, the proper thing to do. Maybe he's, he certainly seems worried that, that John Mark is going to perhaps abandon them again. This gets so bad that it says they have a sharp disagreement and they part ways. Look at verse 39 and 40. And there arose a sharp disagreement so that they separated from each other. Barnabas took Mark with them and sailed away to Cyprus. Paul chose Silas and departed, having been commanded by the brothers, having been commended by the brothers to the grace of the Lord. (coughs) This language here, sharp disagreement. It's, it's just like what it sounds like. Th- this was not a, well, you have your opinion and I have my opinion and we'll just agree to disagree. They got upset. They got riled up. Maybe some harsh words might have even uh, been exchanged. Whatever it was, there was irritation and exasperation. It, it became a, a bone of contention to the point that Barnabas goes and leaves without John Mark. I don't know what he said when he left, but, but it becomes clear that they got so divided over this, they decided that they could not work together. They could not come to agreement. Uh, you know how we sing in the hymn, when the Lord returns, uh, the sky will be rolled back like a scroll? And, and you think of that imagery of, of just the heavens parting and, and the clouds. That, that actually comes from Revelation 6.14. It says the sky was split apart by, by a, like a scroll. That word there, the sky was split apart, is, is the same word that is used when it says, so they separated. This wasn't just sort of a, well, I'll go this way and you go this way. They, they really had a falling out. They really separated. Barnabas said, I am taking John Mark, and we are going to do this. And Paul said, okay, and I'm going to take um, Silas, and and we're going on as well. They completely separated. You have this great missionary team of, of Paul and Barnabas, and they couldn't get along. That's encouraging in the sense that sometimes we can't get along with people. 
And sometimes sin gets involved. And even our heroes of the faith, like Paul and Barnabas, are not perfect. It's interesting here that that it says um, they separated from each other. It's this language of, of one another. There are so many times in Scripture where one another, just this language, is used to describe how we should be getting along. And here it's the exact opposite. They had to separate, or they separated from one another. You have in Romans, and I I just picked a few from Romans, but we could go a lot of other places. Love one another with brotherly affection. Outdo one another in showing honor. Romans 12, 16, live in harmony with one another. Do not be haughty, but associate with the lowly. Never be wise in your own sight. Romans 14, verse 19, let us pursue what makes for peace and for mutual upbuilding, or literally the building up of one another. Romans 15, verse 5. May the God of endurance and encouragement grant you to live in such harmony with one another in one accord with Christ Jesus. Our two great heroes of the faith came to a point in their life because of the sin and the contention going on here where they couldn't live in harmony. They couldn't live together in one anotherness. They couldn't work together. And Paul, it says, and Luke will go on to follow the ministry of Paul, it says in verse 41, he went through Syria and Cilicia, strengthening the churches. And the fact here that it describes Paul as, quote, having been commended by the brothers to the grace of the Lord suggests that it was his missionary journey that they commended. That, that the church sided with Paul in this instance. That, that Barnabas was perhaps jumping the gun to take John Mark with him. Barnabas goes off to Cyprus, another place where Paul and Barnabas had planted churches, and he is going to serve in ministry there. What are some lessons that we might learn from this? Well, I have three lessons that we can take from this. First, this morning. God is not necessarily pleased when brothers cannot dwell in unity, but he may permit the parting of ways and still use it to his glory. In other words, you read through these verses and and in Romans and you see this, get along with one another, have peace with one another, um, don't hold grudges against one another, live in harmony with one another. All All of these things. And, and here Paul and Barnabas weren't doing that. And they weren't able to do that. And yet, while that doesn't please God, God allows it. And, and the grace of God is such that even when we fall into sin, even when these brothers cannot get along well, He uses it nonetheless for his glory. It doesn't mean that he condones it. It doesn't mean that he's happy. Oh, Paul and Barnabas can't get along. Okay, whatever, that's fine. But it does mean, despite all of that sin that's involved, despite the fact that they can't get along, God is still gracious. God is still loving. And he allows Barnabas to go out with John Mark, and he allows Paul to go out with Silas, and churches are still strengthened. It's not as if God never used Barnabas again. It's not as if God never used John Mark or never used Paul because they they had this falling out and they had this sin and it didn't honor God the way they behaved here. 
That's how good God is. God uses us oftentimes despite our sin. It doesn't mean that he excuses them. It doesn't mean that he approves of them. It doesn't mean he just sweeps it under the rug and pretends it didn't happen like we often do. But he can heal us and move us beyond where we were. A good example of this, I think, to make an analogy, and I want to be careful here how we make the analogy, but a good example of this might be divorce. God is not pleased with divorce. It says in the scriptures that God hates divorce. God has not ordained marriage to be temporary. He's ordained it to be for life. And so what pleases and honors God is when when couples stick to their marriage vows, even through the hard times. And yet, even in God's word, he allows that when adultery is committed, there are there is a permission for divorce. It doesn't mean that that God wants divorce, but he allows it. And even even as Christians or, or even as unbelievers, sometimes we fall into sin and we get divorced even when we shouldn't. And God still forgives that. And God still uses us after that. And God still delights when we, when we repent and, and turn back to Him. And it, it doesn't become this, this unforgivable sin. It is not this stain that lasts with us forever. God can still use us same way with Christians in unity. God wants Christians to dwell in unity. God wants us to live with one another. And Paul and Barnabas splitting up is a tragedy. But God still uses it. I would say this, though. We live in a culture where it is far easier for us to part ways with someone than it is to stick it out with them. And that is true not just in marriage. That is true in friendships. That is true in ministry. That is true inside the church. We live in a culture where if we say, I'm not getting along with someone here, I will move. I don't like someone in this church, I will switch churches. Can you imagine how hard that would have been in the early church? Everybody knows everybody. And even if you move to the next town to go to a different church, word's going to get around. It's vital that we work together to build unity. And it's vital that, that as much as it depends upon us, that we live at peace, that we love people through the hard times, that we seek to to reconcile and forgive. Paul and Barnabas is an example that this isn't always true possible, but it is the command. It is what we strive for. And even when we can't, God can use it and heal. The second lesson we might learn from this is just notice how how the church is, is involved in the dispute. I think we can recognize the life of the church in the dispute. The church ends up endorsing Paul's ministry. Now, I don't know if they actually went to anybody and and sought counsel and said, can you please help us solve this? To to speculate there would be to go beyond uh, what Scripture actually says. But somehow the church is involved in this at the end in that before Paul goes out, he has the commendation of the church. I don't know whether or not Barnabas received that. It almost sounds like he didn't because it just kind of says he took John Mark and went. 
Whereas it says Paul chose Silas and they were commended uh, to the grace of God by the church. So, so you, you almost get a sense that Barnabas is the one who leaves and, and Paul is the one who receives the commendation. But part of unity in the life of the church should entail how we think about doing ministry together. A missionary or, or a pastor having the commendation of the larger church is important. Uh, this is why we practice ordination. Uh, this isn't about making some sort of man-made ceremony. It's not about uh, giving people badges. and you know, It's not about just having uh, the, name, uh, the title reverend in front of my name so that I can look powerful and important and, and say to everyone, well, address me as Reverend uh, Bertolette. It's about the community, the body of Christ, recognizing that God has called people. That God had commissioned Paul and Silas. The church says, Amen, we'll pray for you. You are going out. We are behind you. You see, there should not be independent pastors and missionaries. There should not be someone that just comes along and says, Well, I'm going to be a missionary. And then goes around and asks for money. How do you know that person even believes in the gospel? How do you know their heart is in the right place? How do you know they're not just in it for themselves? The church, the body of Christ, being with these people can recognize. When I was in Bible college, um, we were often encouraged, don't just go into church after you get your degree and try to get a job. The encouragement was serve in the church now. Be around people. Let them also see that you have these gifts if, in fact, you have them. Rather than someone just coming in and saying, I have the gift to be a pastor. Please help me become a pastor. Appoint me as one. It's more like, I think I have this gift. I'm going to serve in this church. Maybe I'll just do behind-the-scenes things. Maybe I'll just teach Sunday school. And if you begin to recognize these gifts in me, Will you help me become a pastor? Will you help me become a missionary? See, we need that kind of mentality in our church instead of the kind of mentality that is just individualistic. One of the things that we can do besides just supporting uh, churches or missionaries with our finances is keep in touch with them. Pray for them. uh, Encourage them. Send them cards or notes or emails. Just even a short little thing. Hey, I'm praying for you. When, when my parents were on the mission field, one of the coolest things ever was when we got from churches care boxes. And what was often cool is they would, they would throw in candy for the kids. So we really loved that, right? But, but it was people back home, and sometimes it was people from churches I had never even met. And I still go around to some churches and sometimes people will say, oh, I remember you when you came and visited and you were this tall. And and it's embarrassing. There are a couple missionary card photos floating around from like the late 80s. Oh, it's embarrassing when you're a missionary kid. But when they encourage you, when they send you candy, when they when they just do nice things for you, it's it's like saying we didn't just send you out and forget about you. We really did commend you to the grace of God. We're still praying for you. We're all on the same team here. You see, there is no self-appointment to ministry, whether it's the mission field or Sunday school teacher or, or being a pastor. It's the body. 
And everybody needs the support of the body, especially missionaries. The third lesson I think that we can learn from this is that uh, Paul's difference with John Mark was not irreconcilable. So in Colossians 4.12, it says this, Aristocharchus, my fellow prisoner, uh, greets you, and Mark, the cousin of Barnabas, concerning whom you have received instructions, if he comes to you, welcome him. 2 Timothy 4.11, Luke alone is with me. Get Mark and bring him with you, for he is very useful to me for ministry. Philemon 24 says, So do Mark, Aristocharitus, Demas, and Luke, my fellow workers. First Peter then, this is Peter speaking. So she who is, the, who is at Babylon, who is likewise chosen, sends you greetings, and so does Mark, my son. Mark becomes an important worker for the gospel. Peter calls him my son. Paul who originally said, Mark should not be coming with us, says, send Mark to me. He is very useful in my ministry. Paul may have been right the first time. I don't really know all the details, but you get a sense from Acts that Paul was within his bounds to say, you know, Mark really shouldn't come with us. But the thing is, Paul didn't continue to hold a grudge. He didn't say, well, that's it. I'm never working with Mark ever again. Maybe he saw in Mark some things that needed to mature. No matter how strong the disagreement was with Barnabas over Mark, no matter what Mark's failure is in the first uh, mission, it doesn't mean he can never be in ministry again. It doesn't mean that Paul can never work with him. You and I may have a falling out and a disagreement with someone and find that, that years later we're able to reconcile. That, that down the when, when you part company, you, you can never see yourself getting along with that person again. Maybe even to the point where you don't want to be in the same room with them. And down the road, as time heals the wounds, as the grace of God works in your life and, and hopefully in their life as well, you begin to, to at least overlook the past. You don't hold a grudge. You aren't bitter about it. John and Mark are able to work together. Paul is able to welcome him and instruct other churches to welcome him. As much as it depends upon you, don't bear grudges. Don't be stubborn and refuse peace in the future. You see, sometimes... We can dig our heels in so strongly with this attitude of, I was right. And I sort of do think, just given what we have in Scripture, that, that Paul was right here with John Mark. He didn't dig in his heels. He didn't say, I'm never going to work with John Mark ever again. Romans 12:18. If it is possible, as far as it depends upon you, live at peace with all. I had a situation one time where I had to go to a wedding. And at that wedding, there was a person who I had a disagreement with several years earlier. And wouldn't you know it, at the reception of the wedding, I ended up sitting at that person's table. I had to pray about it. I had to not be bitter in that moment. I had to seek peace with that person. 
And we actually had a very nice conversation. Don't hold grudges. Reconcile where you can. Second, this morning, as much as is possible, live at peace with unbelievers. Now, with believers, in one sense, it is, it is easier in the sense that we have common ground that we all belong to Christ. If you belong to Christ and I belong to Christ, if you have peace with Christ and I have peace with Christ, then we really ought to have peace with each other. We are brothers and sisters. Uh, when my kids fight, my wife always tells them, you're going to be sisters forever. Friends will come and go. How, how is that not like the church? You're going to be in heaven forever. You better learn to get along now here. It's a little difficult sometimes, a little different in some ways with unbelievers. Nevertheless, we need to seek peace with them. So Paul meets Timothy, verses 1 and 2. Paul came to Derbe and to Lystra as a a disciple was there named Timothy, the son of a Jewish woman who was a believer, uh, and his father was Greek. We also know from the pastoral epistles his grandmother was a believer as well. It says he was well spoken of by the brothers in Lystra and Iconium. Uh, We imagine that that Timothy must have been doing some kind of ministry. Maybe he was discipling. Maybe he was doing some preaching. Um, Sounds like maybe some other churches had heard him preach. Maybe he was just a deacon serving in the life of the church, and people saw how much he loved others. It says then that Paul wanted to take Timothy with him in verse 16. Paul wanted Timothy to accompany him and took him and circumcised him because of the Jews who were in these places, For they all knew that his father was a Greek, and they went on their way through the cities, and they delivered to them for observance the decision that had been reached by the apostles and the elders who were were in Jerusalem. Now, this should jar us a little bit. Didn't the church just have a big fight, a, a big debate, a big council meeting over whether or not people need to be circumcised? Yeah, chapter 15. The whole chapter was about that. Well, the whole first part of the chapter was about that, up to verse 35. And the church very clearly said, if you are a Gentile, you don't need to be circumcised. You don't need to do it for salvation. It's also not a sign of Christian maturity. It just, it doesn't matter. And then Paul comes and circumcises Timothy. Was Paul a hypocrite? Was Paul going back on his word? And then he takes Timothy around to the churches to deliver the verdict in verse 4. They delivered to them for observance the decision that was reached by the apostle and the elders. That decision was, you don't need to be circumcised. Why does Paul circumcise Timothy? Notice what it says. Paul wanted Timothy to accompany him, and he took him and circumcised him because of the Jews who were in those places. Not the believing Christians who were Jewish, the unbelieving Jewish people, the people that were still holding to the Old Testament law and didn't believe about Jesus. Luke elsewhere, when he talks about uh, believers who are Jewish, he talks about them in terms of being brothers earlier in chapter 15. It's because of the unbelieving Jews. Now, Paul didn't do this with everyone. It says in Galatians 2, verse 3, that that Titus was ministering with him, and even Titus wasn't compelled to be circumcised or wasn't forced to be circumcised. So Paul doesn't circumcise everyone. 
he ministers with him. But it says he took him because of the Jews who were in those places. So Timothy has this Greek father and this Jewish mother. He is half Jewish Jewish by his heritage. And so part of that is they know his father is Greek and they know his mother is Jewish and he circumcises them. He wants to be able to go to these Jewish people and share the gospel with them. With them. And he doesn't want the first thing out of their mouths to be, how dare you bring this Timothy, this uncircumcised guy whose father is a Gentile, into our presence. He doesn't want them to get distracted by that. So it is a compromise for the sake of missions. Paul isn't compromising the gospel. He's not watering down the gospel. When they had decided that you don't need to be circumcised to be saved, they were being faithful to the word of God, and Paul is sticking to that. But Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 19 and 20, he says this, For though I am free from all, I have made myself a servant to all, that I might win more of them. To the Jews I became as a Jew in order to win Jews. To those under the law, I became as one under the law, though not being under myself under the law, but that I might win those who are under the law. In other words, there were people around them who were not saved, that were very zealous for the law. And this would have been a hang-up for them to be around Timothy. And so that Timothy can be effective in ministry, so that they can keep peace with these Jewish unbelievers. They circumcised Timothy. For us then, for the sake of, of people hearing the gospel, we must sometimes do things that are not required of us. In other words, sometimes we go out of our way, and even though it's not required, we go the extra mile to keep peace with people. Paul's approach wasn't anything goes. He wasn't compromising the gospel. But, but let me give you an illustration. I had some friends, and they invited some Mormons over to their house. Uh, they were Mormon. The, these people were Mormon missionaries, and they invited them in. They were going to cook for them. They were going to try to talk to them a little bit about the gospel. Of course, the Mormon missionaries figured, all right, we can go and evangelize. But, but uh, the, the idea was we're going to love them, and we are going to show them Christ's love. Mormons don't drink soda or anything with caffeine. So when the Mormon missionaries come in, they didn't go like, hey, would you like coffee, tea, uh, Pepsi, soda? They also didn't say, well, I know you don't drink, but, but I'm going to just have a lot of coffee in front of you so that you feel really uncomfortable. I'm free in Christ. I can drink coffee. Don't you want to be a Christian? If we were living in a Muslim country as missionaries, we would try to be the least offensive as possible in our outward behavior. It means that, that we might follow their food laws in that nation. It means that, that as the, the ladies who are missionaries might, out of keeping the peace, out of respect, cover their heads. Now, I, I don't think we'd necessarily go full burqa, but have you ever watched uh, the news anchors and news interviewers who are ladies when they go into an Arabic country? And they always wear at least a little bit of head covering out of respect, out of desiring not to offend. If a non-Christian who is a journalist can do that, 
Don't you think as a Christian, we can go sometimes the extra mile to not offend so that we can get a healing for the gospel? If your neighbor was Hindu, you wouldn't invite him over for a hamburger barbecue. Hey, I just put some burgers on the grill. Good cow meat. In the same way, to keep peace with unbelievers, we should sometimes do things that we don't need to do. You see, the gospel, when we share it, is going to be offensive. And so we should do in things in our lives that are going to be the least offensive as possible. Now, sometimes as a Christian, you'll take a stand on something. You'll just stand up for a basic truth, and, and there's nothing you can do about it. That's going to be offensive. But sometimes there are little things that really don't matter, and you can do them. And you're not compromising the faith. You're just being smart to keep peace with other people. As much as I love my beard, if we were in a country or a place where people found beard, beards uh, offensive, I'd shave it off so that I could talk to people. I'd shave it off so that I could share the gospel with others. Let me give you one example of how this might play out in our lives. Obviously, in our culture, being politically correct is a hot-button issue. And, and people get offended over all kinds of things. And we say, oh, that's, that's political correctness. And so sometimes we stand on the outside and we think, well, that thing that you're offended over is silly. So I'm going to show you how silly it is and do it anyways. There was a thing not too long ago. You know, people were getting offended because some college students were wearing sombreros on a certain day. And that was cultural appropriation. Somebody else got upset because there was someone that was wearing dreadlocks. And, you know, that hairstyle was uh, offensive because it wasn't politically correct because you weren't of the right race or nationality to do that. And sometimes we look at that and we say, that's just silly. And so sometimes, particularly if we're conservative, we just say, well, I'm going to go the extra mile and offend them anyways because I can do that. Political correctness can get out of control. Don't get me wrong. But maybe sometimes when you're with someone that you know that's going to get offended over things that you find kind of silly or kind of pedantic, pointless, Maybe as a Christian, going the extra mile means so that they won't get offended by me. I'll try to live in a way that won't rub them the wrong way. Let the gospel offend them. Let your sharing Jesus with them offend them. Not, well, I'm going to wear a sombrero because I know it bothers them. I'm going to eat meat because I know it bothers them and I'm free in Christ. Don't use your freedom as a way to brag. Live peaceable with believers. Live peaceable with unbelievers. Let's close in a word of prayer this morning. Our gracious God and Heavenly Father, Lord, uh, we thank you for what you have done, that the Lord Jesus Christ, as our sacrifice, as our Passover lamb, has made peace with us before God. And out of that peace, we are commanded to be peacemakers and live at peace with other people. We praise you for that. We ask that you would use your word in our hearts today and instruct us and teach us. In your precious name we pray. Amen.